Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and happy Thursday, and a busy Thursday it is. We have a lot of breaking news that you're going to enjoy today, and starting with an exclusive story that we broke on Just the News that further illustrates how far the United States government, under the color of law, has gone to censor Americans' free speech, to force, pressure, cajole, encourage social media platforms and search engines to block Americans' content, social postings, opinions, things that we have long suspected were protected under the First Amendment, which declares that the government shall pass no law that will infringe on the right of free expression. And the Supreme Court has extended to say that includes the behavior of federal agencies authorized by Congress. So therefore, the federal government can't infringe free speech. And yet we know it's been going on. A month ago, we broke the story about the Homeland Security Created Consortium, a private group called the Election Integrity Partnership that went out on behalf of government agencies and under the color of government agencies and encouraged social media to censor things. And then we learned from Mark Zuckerberg, allegedly, that the FBI ordered the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story, at least at Facebook. Today, you're going to hear in a few moments what happened at the FBI. An extensive, detailed, expansive operation in the fall of 2020 during the height of the 2020 presidential election in which agents, lawyers, prosecutors all worked together, sent their information up to the FBI headquarters. The FBI headquarters sent it to a special unit in San Francisco to pressure social media posts to be censored, removed, blocked. That story is confirmed by Special Agent Elvis Chan. He is the Assistant Special Agent in Charge of the Cyber Branch of the San Francisco FBI office. And in great detail, he described how this operation worked in a deposition that was just taken of him 
by the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri. Those are two states that are suing social media companies for improper censorship of Americans' content. But we're going to get back to Elvis Chan's testimony in more detail. But I just want to tell you the lineup we have today. In the second block of the podcast, we're going to hear from Congressman James Comer. He is the incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, the most powerful investigative body in the House. He reacted last night to this story and other things on the Just the News, No Noise television show. I'm going to play that during the second quarter so you can understand how troubled he was when we made public this Elvis Chan deposition and in the very extreme details in there, including the fact that FBI headquarters was sanctioning and involved in this. The leadership of the FBI was involved in censorship. So we're going to get to that in the second block. In the first block, we've got another member of Congress who also has been fighting for free speech. In fact, she just held a very important hearing on the state of censorship on college campuses. Congressman Marionette Miller-Meeks, she is a powerful voice from Iowa, a doctor, and she has been fighting free speech. And she's going to tell us a lot about what's going on in the free speech space, what Congress in a Republican House might be able to do to begin to roll back this troubling sentiments and behavior that we're seeing. Remember what Senator Bob Torricelli, a Democrat, said on the show last week, right? He said, it's the very institutions that have benefited from free speech, college campuses and universities, news media, social media, that are now becoming the perpetrators of censorship and infringement of free speech. That's a Democrat calling out many of the constituencies in his own side of the aisle. Well, Congresswoman Miller-Meeks is going to brief us on what's going on, what went on at this event with other lawmakers, and what the battle, particularly on college campuses in free speech, over free speech, how, where it's going, where it's heading, where victories are rolled up, where losses are accumulating. We're going to cover that. And then, remember, it's AMAC Thursday. That's one of my favorite moments of the week. I love talking to our friends at AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, one of the most important lobbies in Washington for senior citizens, and quite frankly, all Americans. Well, AMAC has also gotten into the free speech game. They're working to support legislation by Senator Hawley of Missouri to codify that Homeland Security Department or any federal agency may never, ever again try to create a government disinformation board. Stop the disinformation wars in its tracks. Because right now, the Biden administration said they put that on hold, but there's no prohibition that it doesn't come back in another iteration. Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, wants to make sure that doesn't happen. He sponsored legislation. AMAC is putting its political muscle behind that. We're going to have a great interview with Andy Mangione, the vice president for AMAC Action, the action arm, the grassroots arm of AMAC. He's going to talk about why they're supporting legislation, why it's important, what we're learning about free speech. He'll react to that FBI story as well. And when we're done, we'll also go through a very important document that Andy's colleague, Bobby Charles, a great former congressional investigator and administration official in the Bush administration, State Department, he wrote and debunked a lot of the myths that Joe Biden and the Biden White House have put out there about the energy crisis. And we're going to get into that because truth matters. The best way to fight misinformation isn't to censor it, it's to put the truth out and counter it with truth. That's what AMAC does with some of the things that the Biden administration has tried to foist upon America as truths when they're not true. 
about the energy crisis we're all experiencing in America with high gas prices, diesel shortages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the show today. We got three great guests. It's a lot of content, a little bit longer show than normal, but I want to get to all three of those great guests today. But let me get back first for a moment to Agent Chan's testimony. Elvis Chan, FBI Assistant Special Agent in Charge of the Cyber Branch in San Francisco, under oath, questioned by the Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana. He describes that there was a sprawling operation that enlisted the help of FBI field offices around the country, federal prosecutors, the FBI and Justice Department lawyers, including the general counsel. And they would go through these complaints that would come in on disinformation. Eventually, they would go to FBI headquarters. If FBI headquarters decided, hey, this is something we want to censor, they would send it to Elvis Chan and he would make the request. And here's what he said. When he would make a request to censor something, which he said were coming in daily, we would receive some responses from the social media companies. I remember in some cases, they would relay that they had taken down the post. In other cases, they would say content didn't violate their terms of service. And then he was asked, well, how often did it happen? And he said very clearly that it happened about 50% of the time. Let me read you exactly what he said. I would not say it was 100% success rate. If I had to characterize it, I would say it was like a 50% success rate. But that's from my recollection. So that's it. He described how this process worked. That first, the FBI encouraged Americans to report disinformation on social media related to elections so they could pursue it. And then I believe all these tips are reviewed by an intake analyst, Agent Chan said, either by an FBI employer or an FBI contractor. And I believe they have certain levels of predication where they would keep sending it higher and higher up the chain. He said eventually something would get to a field office like in St. Louis and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI field office in St. Louis would do some investigation. If they thought it was worthy, they would send it to FBI headquarters and then FBI headquarters would review it with a lawyer from the general counsel's office, maybe someone from the public integrity section. And then if they decided it should be acted upon, they'd send it to Chan's unit in San Francisco. And here's what he said. This is very important. By the time it reached us, there already had been what I will characterize as an FBI headquarter stamp of approval. An FBI headquarter stamp of approval for censoring content on American social media platforms. That is what we unmasked yesterday. You can go to justthenews.com and read the entire story as well as the full 200, 300-page deposition of Elvis Chan. The headline is, FBI agent's testimony implicates headquarters brass in social media censorship. It is a pretty stunning amount of facts. It shows how comfortable the FBI was to get involved in the censorship game. Despite all the prohibitions, we know that the First Amendment allegedly makes upon government. Censorship is going on from the Homeland Security Department, the State Department, the FBI, confirmed by one of its own G-men, by one of its own agents. In the second block, you're going to hear James Comer the incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, really talk about this in great detail. One of the things he pointed out is he thinks that some of these FBI agents, because they have political motives or they were political donors to Democrats, Chan donated a small amount of money to Democrats, by the way, according to the records in the court case. Chan, he said that the FBI should be prohibited from doing this, not only under the First Amendment, but under the Hatch Act, because all of these interventions could have influenced the election. But he said there's a loophole in the Hatch Act that doesn't apply to contacts with social media. He's going to propose legislation to fix that. You're going to want to listen to that in the second block. So that is the big story today. Tomorrow, we're going to have another big story. This one about a prominent officer in Congress 
who oversees ethics enforcement, and his own record of misconduct and behavior since he's taken over this office. We're going to break that story tomorrow morning. Check it out. But tonight, we're going to focus on free speech. Three great guests, Congressman Marionette Miller-Meeks, Congressman James Comer, incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and then we'll finish up with Andy Mangione for AMAC Thursdays and what AMAC's doing to pursue legislation in Congress to start to roll back or protect us from some of this encroaching censorship that's going on all across our country. Democrats and Republicans alike now are beginning to wake up that this is an American. Now, before we go to commercial break, it is AMAC Thursday. I want to remind you, you can get become an AMAC member like I did. I bought a five-year membership, the best bargain you're going to get. They've set up a special website where you can go and get a discount on your membership. You'll start getting immediate payback from your membership because you're going to get discounts on products and services and travel and hotel. You can get special offers for Medicare and other things that you might need in your life. And then you're going to get all this incredible political intelligence and news that the AMAC folks, people like Bobby Charles and Andy Mangione write to keep you informed about what's going on in Washington that affects you and I at the dinner table, in our budget, in our wallet, at our board room, at our water cooler. To do that, all you have to do is go to amac.us, amac.us, slash just news. You're going to get a special rate on a membership. Go do it. I did the five year. It's the best deal. It's going to pay for itself several times over if you use the discounts. The political intelligence more than pays for itself. All of this is such important stuff. Go check it out today. Join the fight with AMAC. Get informed. Get the discounts and have a new ally in Washington watching out for your interests. All right, quick commercial break. When we come back, first up, Congresswoman Miller-Meeks from Iowa right after this commercial break. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you out at your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down, my blood sugar is down, my weight's down, my health is up, my sleeping patterns are better, my metabolism is up. If you wanna experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Excited to have this next guest on. She represents the great state of Iowa. She's a doctor and one of the most sound voices in all of Congress. Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, great to have you on the show, ma'am. It's great to be back with you. You are doing so many important things, but I want to focus on something that you just concluded. There was a the second annual Campus Free Speech Roundtable in Congress. You have focused on this issue for a while. We're now starting to see a much larger portrait of maybe how much our free speech is being infringed, whether at Twitter or with the FBI. What were some of your takeaways from the roundtable? Well, that uh, I think most importantly is that we have young people who are actually standing up um, being making sure that their voices are being heard, and they're they're also assuming leadership positions on college campuses. Uh, and I think it's extraordinarily important to acknowledge the courage um, of these young individuals at a time when most of us are concerned of, uh, with how our peers p- perceive us, and we know that that peer pressure, that uh, you know, when you're being ostracized or shunned, you know how challenging that is in this age group. But yet these young individuals assume a leadership position um, and are making sure that everyone's speech is protected. Um, And, you know, the answer to speech you don't like or with which you disagree uh, or with which you, um, you know, may find offensive. And I can tell you as a four foot 11 female, I've got songs written about how, uh, you know, how short people aren't necessary. Um, Yes. But, uh, you know, the, the answer is more speech, not less speech. And I think that we've seen you know, especially um, uh, at the onset of the pandemic, we have seen an unprecedented level of censorship, uh, canceling, deplatforming, removing people, you know, uh, entities off uh, servers, you know, not allowing them an avenue for an expression of speech. And I think uh, even the ACLU has abandoned his its long, um, you know, long held uh, views on uh, free speech and the First Amendment. So I think it's extraordinarily important that we bring this up, that we let young people know that there are organizations uh, that are available uh, there to help them, to provide pro bono legal work, and that we as individuals support these organizations uh, that are helping young people, whether it's FIRE, uh, whether it's, um, you know, the Alliance uh, for um, uh, Boards uh, of Colleges. Uh, that there are organizations that are standing up for free speech and we need to be able to help support them. Yeah, and it's interesting because the censorship movement seems to be really controlled like a, in a small elitist part of the country, but people who have a lot of authority. But the, when you do the polling, the vast majority of Americans are just unhappy with all of these different examples, whether it's silencing parents, silencing college students, silencing conservatives, silencing critics of the public health policy. Do you think the public sentiments are beginning to seep into the policy debates for the first time? Uh, I absolutely think that that is true. And and let me give you just one small example. If you'll remember, one of the things that propelled uh, Glenn Youngkin to be the governor of Virginia uh, in what has now become a blue state uh, was uh, parents and parents' bill of rights, uh, the uh, labeling of parents as domestic terrorists. And it was the Loudoun uh, uh, Independent School uh, Board District where a parent 
had gone to the school board after not having received information through the school system about uh, the rape of his daughter, who was in the ninth grade, in a public bathroom. Um, and uh, they denied that this existed. They actually had the parent arrested. And the grand jury has found that the school was derelict in its duties, the school system, uh, derelict in its duties in uh, brushing that under the carpet. And on multiple levels, the school system has failed and failed those students. That was the speech that was attempting to be censored and silenced because it didn't uh, fit in with the, the um, uh, you know, the Loudoun County School District's um, agenda uh, and their curriculum. So they were ignoring a parent whose child had been raped, denied that it had occurred. Uh, so I think, you know, when people see this, and it does get noticed, um, even though you have to go through securitist routes uh, because you're not able to uh, publish stuff on Twitter or on social media, and it doesn't get covered in the newspapers, uh, people are finding ways around that, and they're becoming extraordinarily angry and mobilized, and many are becoming activists for the first times in their lives. Yeah, it's such a remarkable thing to see. And, and it's real. I mean, you can see it in the local school board races all the way up to the national races, this sort of growing citizen activism. When you think about the things we've learned just in the last few weeks, all right, the FBI had a person regularly at the social media companies trying to encourage censorship. Dr. Anthony Fauci in his deposition says, you know, I, I kind of stuck with the natural evolution of COVID because I didn't want to offend China. You start to see that many of the reasons that were given for censorship actually weren't even based on facts. They were either politics or perception. What does it do in Congress? Do, is there uh, uh, anything that Congress can do with a new Republican majority to dive into this issue legislatively or investigatively? Well, uh, certainly uh, we do want to hold oversight. Uh, we want to hold people accountable. But I think uh, a lot of it is um, having the oversight, having the investigation, investigatory capacity, the capacity to bring subpoena witnesses uh, to have them uh, come and talk. Um, you know, and that may include things that we don't want to hear either as Republicans. But what's very important is that we're given an avenue to have both sides of a story come out. I, I'm also on the select subcommittee on the coronavirus task force. Uh, and if that committee is continued, uh, or if not, uh, in another committee, we absolutely want to have oversight hearings on COVID-19, the origins of COVID-19, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, uh, censorship of data and information, therapeutics, all of that information needs to come out into the public because it sets up the precedent for how we respond to the next pandemic. Um, so I think it's really important information that has to be, uh, has to be gathered. We have to investigate. We have to have uh, hearings and testimony and get information out to the public and then develop the new precedent for how we handle the next pandemic or, you know, uh, how our, our border is not secure in the amount of fentanyl and people on the terror watch list coming across, um, you know, the uh, uh, actions of the FBI in um, censoring data and information that may have affected uh, a presidential election. Uh, we, we need to hear testimony on that. And more importantly, why? Because people have lost uh, uh, faith and trust in their government institutions. And we need to have faith and trust in some of these government institutions. Uh, you know, when you think about what's happened with the CDC, as a doctor and a former public health director, uh, I think it's shameful the conduct of the CDC and its lack of transparency, not acknowledging that there's infection-acquired immunity. Uh, and so these things, it's going to take a lot of time 
to get back the trust in government institutions. Government and federal government has a valid role and a valid function, and people need to be able to trust in their own government. A big part of restoring that trust comes in the commitment to America that you helped build, and we start a new year that that's going to be the one thing that American voters are going to look at and say, all right, we put these guys in office because they got these uh, agenda items. How important is it? And what are the top priorities in the commitment to America that you want to see right off the top? Um, we need to start work on energy independence. We need to get rid of 87,000 new IRS agents. Uh, we need uh, to be able to uh, work on um, looking at a budget and uh, getting back to a regulatory, but reg- regular budgeting process uh, so that we can uh, stop the overspending that we've seen the past two years that led to record high inflation. Um, and in, even if we just do energy prices alone, that's going to help with inflation and the cost because we know that the cost of energy, not only is it what people pay at the gas pump, what people are paying to heat their homes right now, but energy is 60% of the cost of food and food products. And so, um, you know, we will be able to lower food costs, we'll be able to lower um, inflation costs by tackling energy and allowing more energy production here in the United States. So those are things that we uh, need to look at right away uh, and get done for the American people. And I think if we can start doing those things, a parent's bill of rights, something that we should be able to get across the finish line. Uh, You know, there's concern certainly with the Senate election last night that we're Uh, Now going, uh, the Senate will no longer be tied. The uh, Democrats will have a one-person majority, uh, which may make it more problematic. But if we're doing things that the majority of the public agrees with and they want to see happen and that they know that we're working for their benefit, I I do uh, have hope that we'll be able to get things passed um, and signed into law by President Biden. Yeah, that's the key is showing some progress in these next two years because Americans are so frustrated by the experience that they are. You've talked about the border. There seems to be a moment now where Joe Biden is not going to be able to ignore the border anymore, whether through the oversight authority or through legislative and budget process, uh, that border is going to get addressed. Have you sensed any willingness from the administration to engage? And if not, what can Republicans do to encourage that compliance? Uh, I, I, uh, even the president's comments uh, this week when he was in Arizona and asked if he was going to visit the border and he said there's more important things to do. Uh, when you have, uh, you know, record numbers of people continuing to come across our border, record number of fentanyl and drugs coming across uh, that is, you know, not interceded uh, at the border, uh, the morale of the border, uh, border protection agents, the unconscionable um, uh, you know, burden that this is placed on uh, on border states. Um, you know, we look at that and what could be more important than addressing right now uh, at this time uh, is what's happening at our, uh, at our southern border. Uh, but yet the president thinks that it is, um, you know, that it's, it's a, a minor uh, issue at this point in time. And so I think um, uh, by having oversight hearings, by being able to force uh, the mainstream um, media to pay attention to this subject um, and to bring to light uh, what all of the border states are undergoing. Um, you know, it, uh, when uh, when immigrants were uh, sent to uh, other states and they were crying foul about how much burden it places if 50 or 100 immigrants uh, showed up, try, you know, 4 million immigrants over two years, uh, illegal immigrants coming uh, into your uh, communities and the destruction that's wrought on those communities. So I think, yes, bringing it to light, forcing the mainstream media to pay attention to this issue, 
uh, and this is going to continue to be a worsening problem. Yeah, uh, it's not, especially with Title 42 collapsing, that's going to just add to the exactly. pressure. It's just going to be, you know, uh, Jay Johnson under President Obama said, uh, you know, over a thousand immigrants uh, was uh, was uh, an insecure border. Uh, you know, we have five thousand to seven thousand a day now, and it's anticipated it could go to twelve to eighteen thousand with the lifting of Title 42. Meanwhile, the president still insists that we have a public health emergency so he can put through the policies he wants to jam through uh, under the guise of a public health emergency. Yeah, having it both ways. There's no doubt about that when you look at the the last uh, three months. Last question. The first decision that has to be made before Republicans take the flight stick is who's going to be the next leader. Can you referee for us where you are in this process with Kevin McCarthy, the House Freedom Caucus, and, you know, some people say, hey, well, what about Lee Zeldin or someone like that? Where is your thinking in this process of how it gets resolved? Well, Lee Zeldin did a phenomenal job uh, as a representative and then as a gubernatorial candidate for New York. So, as you know, he's not coming back in uh, to the House of Representatives. And we are absolutely going to miss uh, Representative Zeldin. He was a great member of Congress uh, and would have made uh, a uh, great uh, governor of the uh, state of New York. Um, so uh, Lee is not in the running uh, for uh, speaker. Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, Representative Kevin McCarthy, has been very diligent in uh, supporting candidates, uh, working hard to raise the money to make sure that the Republicans got in the majority. He is supported by the vast majority uh, of members. And I know it's hard for people outside of Congress to understand uh, all of the things that go into becoming speaker and and what skill sets that members of Congress are looking for in their speaker. Uh, but far and away, uh, Kevin McCarthy has the skill set to be able to do the job, uh, to bring members of uh, Congress together. He knows uh, the you know political um, maneuverings uh, that go on uh, and uh, the rules that are very necessary to get legislation passed um, and, and, and to govern. And so I think he's the... Uh, the candidate that uh, most everyone has thrown their hat behind. Um, and for us, we think it's extraordinarily important. This is, uh, you know, uh, first impressions are very important. So the first impression uh, that the Republicans give to the public that has put them in a majority should be to be able to uh, elect a speaker uh, without a lot of drama and to start uh, getting onto the work of conducting proper oversight and putting forth meaningful legislation legislation that makes their lives better. Such an important thing. Do you think there's a deal for McCarthy to make with the Freedom Caucus, get the issues resolved and get unified before January 3rd? You know, I think every member of Congress comes uh, with things that they're passionate about, things that are important to their district or their own philosophy. And sometimes you have to set those things aside, even if it's temporarily for the betterment of the country. I think we're at uh, at a crossroads in our country right now where the Republicans um, need to show that they are capable of governing, they're capable capable of listening to people, and we're able to do both oversight and govern and make sure that we're meeting uh, the needs of people at this important time with record high inflation, record high prices, you know, going into winter when uh, people are concerned about paying rent, putting food on their table. We need to be able to do things that um, are uh, seen as answering the public's needs. And so I think that we can do both of those things. And that may mean that all of us have to put aside some of our 
um, you know, uh, personal desires in order to see that we start getting the country back on a good fitting, good, get the country on, uh, on the proper track, on the right track, uh, and then can pursue those other goals as well. We still have to, you know, we, all of us are concerned about the deficit and the debt. Uh, so we know that we need to address those things, but let's get through these first hurdles uh, first and start helping the American people. Yeah, that's such an important message that I can't get lost in all of the side conversations that are occurring right now. Last question. When you look at the fiscal 2022 budget, you see an extraordinary number. The United States collected nearly $5 trillion in tax revenues, often because a result of the tax cuts that caused the economy to grow over the last four or five years. It seems to me that most Americans think, can't we fit our expenditures of government in a $5 trillion hole? Do you think the time is coming now where people are looking at the spending and saying, if you can't live within $5 trillion, we have a problem? I, I think people are absolutely looking at uh, us to be, uh, you know, mature about our, um, about our budget. Um, we brought in record revenues. We know that the tax cuts have helped to bring in record, uh, uh, record revenues, helped uh, businesses to be able to thrive in what was an extraordinarily uncertain environment, especially the past uh, couple of years with the pandemic. Uh, but they're expecting us uh, to prioritize our spending, uh, which we have not seen in the past two years. We have seen massive spending, massive increases in the budget uh, to federal agencies. And when Americans are struggling, they expect us to be able to, um, uh, to tighten our belts. And so uh, that may mean not, that may not mean cuts at this point in time, but it may mean that we don't continue to increase the amount of spending to agencies. And so I think that we have to prioritize our spending um, and make sure that we live within uh, the revenue that's coming into the federal government. Most states do that. In Iowa, we cannot spend more than 99% of what uh, revenue uh, comes in. We have a revenue estimating committee uh, that you know will give us a report. And so I think it's important that uh, on the federal level uh, that we uh, stop the definite deficit spending, stop expecting the Federal Reserve to bail us out and print more money, uh, and start getting into the very difficult uh, circumstances of controlling the deficit spending uh, and also get our national debt uh, under control. Yeah, there's some good lessons America can learn from the state of Iowa. There's no doubt about that. Congresswoman, great honor to have you on the show today. Really look forward to the new uh, session, and uh, well, I'm sure to get you back on after the uh, first of the year. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great conversation. Thank you so much. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, James Comer, the incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, on how troubled he is about all that FBI censorship we were talking about. We'll have that right after the break. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They've successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, 
and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale. Four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. He's going to be the next chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and he just recently announced an investigation into the Biden administration for the botched exit from Afghanistan last August, something that really has been crying out for investigation. Joining us right now from the great state of Kentucky, Congressman James Comer. Congressman, good to have you back on the show. Great to be back. This is such an important announcement, going back and remembering that terribly botched exit in Afghanistan, what we can learn from it and what damage it did on, uh, to the U.S. standing on the world stage. Tell us what you're going to be looking at. Well, we want to know who made the final decisions because no one's been held accountable for that. Uh, we lost many lives. We left people behind. Uh, we wasted millions and millions of tax dollars. We armed our enemies in the Taliban with American weapons. And the Democrats haven't held a single oversight hearing. We don't know to this day who made those decisions, and we don't know exactly what all was left behind. So this is what we're going to try to investigate. Uh, we're going to try to get the answers the American people deserve. We're going to try to get the answers the families who lost loved ones deserve. And we're going to try to see if there's a way to hold someone accountable uh, for this terrible decision, which, as you said, John, has impacted us in a negative way on the world stage. I don't think we'd be dealing with what we're dealing with in Ukraine right now if uh, Biden's leadership hadn't been so uh, incompetent and uh, we had such a uh, botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah. So true. Yeah, it's any, anything but peace through strength. I wanted to dig in on this a little bit, though, because I, I don't mean to be a negative Nancy, but I am always skeptical. And I know that you are going to be, you already requested documents uh, and materials from a number of agencies, I assume Homeland, the NSC, uh, mm -hmm. State Department. Are you confident right. that uh, considering there are partisan actors within those agencies, are you confident that you're going to get all of the materials you need? Because, um, again, I'm just being a little bit skeptical. I feel like there might be a little bit of holding back uh, in the nature mm -hmm. of, of partisanship. Well, uh, that's uh, well-earned uh, uh, negativity that you have there. Based on what I've seen in the past two years, uh, this administration hasn't turned anything over. But what they continued to imply to us up until November was that, well, you're in the minority and uh, we only have to give 
documentation over to the majority, to the committee chairs. Well, in January, I'm going to be chairman of the House Oversight Committee. Uh, we've requested many of these documents at least two times. If we don't get it uh, in January, then we'll go the next route. And I hate to go the, the subpoena route. You should never have to subpoena documents from the American government that aren't classified, but uh, we'll do whatever we have to do to get the documentation. And I think that uh, the administration is going to have a hard time uh, providing the, the documents that we request. We're not going to request anything that uh, we don't have any business looking into. But this is something that every American needs and deserves answers to, and we're not going to let up on this. And I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that we'll get uh, the majority of the information that we've requested. <clears throat> Such important transparency and lacking for the last year. So I know a lot of people mm -hmm. are applauding that decision, sir. I want to take you to the issue of censorship. You made a big announcement after the Elon Musk release of files. I want to talk to you about another thing that came out. The last 24 hours, Louisiana, Missouri Attorney General released uh, the testimony of Elvis Chan, an FBI agent in San Francisco, where he acknowledges that he was making regular censorship requests to all of the uh, social media companies and that often they would come approved by Washington FBI headquarters, government agencies, government leaders approving sanctioned uh, censorship requests. He said 50 percent of the time he got what he asked for. The idea that the government's in the censorship business. Your thoughts on that? Very concerning. Should be very concerning to everyone who cares about the First Amendment, who cares about civil, civil liberties. Uh, this is wrong. Uh, this should be a violation of the Hatch Act. Apparently, there's a loophole in the Hatch Act that doesn't impact uh, social media. We're going to change that legislation next year. But with respect to the FBI uh, censoring conservative speech, this is very concerning. Uh, when you look at what Twitter has released thus far, uh, they haven't even gotten into the FBI part yet. We saw today that Musk fired their attorney, Baker, who used to work for the FBI, who was part of the, the famous Steel dossier that we now know it was complete, uh, a complete phony uh, document that was used to uh, harass President Trump for the first two years of his administration. So uh, we're concerned about this. The most concerning thing about the laptop, which, as you know, John, we're leading the investigation in the Biden family influence peddling, right. is the fact that the FBI had the laptop. They had the laptop for almost a year. But it, by all accounts, it appears they went to Twitter and said, do not run this story. This is Russian disinformation. When they knew darn well that it was not Russian disinformation, that it was a legitimate, authentic laptop that had not been tamper tampered with, that is a huge problem for the FBI. And I can assure you that's going to be a priority for both the House Oversight Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and probably the Intelligence Committee. We're going to do everything we can to hold people accountable because there's no excuse but what the FBI has done with respect to limiting speech, especially the laptop story. Well, and I'm glad you brought up that last part because I just keep thinking back to this letter with, what was it, 51 signatures on it, asserting mm -hmm. the notion that the laptop was Rus Russian disinformation. And I just keep thinking to myself, what, what's going to happen to those 51 people who put their name on paper in black and white and asserted something that I think, I think some of them may have known was, was not true? They're all going to have an opportunity to be interviewed by congressional oversight committees. Uh, the Judiciary Committee's already uh, say, said that they want to speak to them right off the bat. We're working closely, as you know, with the Judiciary Committee. Jim Jordan's on the Oversight and Judiciary Committee. He and I work together because so many of our investigations overlap. Uh, he's very concerned 
about uh, what's going on at the DOJ and FBI. He, he's leading the investigation to determine whether or not the DOJ and FBI has been weaponized and politicized. I think we all know the answer to that, but he's leading that investigation. So uh, all 51 of those people are going to be invited to come and be interviewed by Congress. Some of them may be asked to testify from Congress because, you know, obviously they were wrong. If you look at how they were, chose their words, they said it has all the appearance of being Russian disinformation. So they're going to say, well, we didn't say it was Russian disinformation, <laughs> but that's the way the media took it. And that was one of the reasons that uh, the story never became public and the American people never got to know just exactly how corrupt the Biden family was right before the presidential election. Yeah, such an important issue that we got to tackle. Sir, uh, we went through an impeachment scandal a couple of years ago where a president was accused of trying to ask a, a nation, a foreign nation, to do something political. Obviously, President Trump was acquitted. But now we have strong indications that the Biden administration asked the Saudis to uh, hold down uh, oil cuts until after the election to help him out. Uh, is that something you're going to dig into? Absolutely. We've already sent letters to Secretary Blinken asking exactly what kind of deal they were trying to make. Yeah, so it, it appears that Joe Biden went on his hands and knees to Saudi Arabia and begged them to increase oil production before the election, which, of course, would drop the price of gasoline right before the election. We wonder, uh, was it then, OK, you could do whatever you want after the election. You could uh, cut production after the election to increase prices so you can make more money. Just help me out before this election. If so, the Democrats used to call that a quid pro quo. And uh, I would make a strong argument that that was a more serious quid pro quo than Donald Trump asking Ukraine, hey, do you have any evidence of corruption here? Because it sure looks like corruption. And by the way, John, it does look like corruption, what Donald Trump was asking Zelensky with respect to Hunter Biden and Burisma. But with, with respect to what we're requesting from Secretary Blinken, we're not going to let up on this story either because the media, other than, than you guys uh, and a few conservative outlets, they haven't paid any attention to this. And this is very serious because when you talk about national security, energy policy is national security. And the it fact is. that our president's having yeah. to go beg Saudi Arabia to increase production uh, should be concerning to every American. Well, folks, don't touch that aisle. Don't go anywhere. But before we're done today, we're going to have one more conversation. It's a Mac Thursday segment coming up. And we're going to bring you up to speed on a bill designed to outlaw any future government disinformation offices like the one the Homeland Security Department tried to stand up under Joe Biden earlier this year. Of course, it was defeated. But we're going to give you a little bit about that as well. A great conversation with Andy Mangione from AMAC Action right after this commercial break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. It is a Mac Thursday, one of my favorite moments in the week. We always have a great discussion about issues that matter to real Americans. And today is going to be no different. At the top of the show, I told you a little bit about the story we broke last night with the FBI agent now admitting the FBI made numerous requests to social media company to censor content on American Twitter, Facebook, and other places. We're going to stay on the free speech path for a little bit longer with our guest, Andy Mangione, Senior Vice President for AMAX Advocacy Arm, the AMAC Action. And they have been taking the lead on a new bill to protect free speech from some of the things we're talking about. And Andy's going to bring us up to speed of that. Andy, great to have you back on the show. Hey, John, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You guys do so much interesting stuff, but free speech is becoming a big concern for a lot of our citizens in America, including those at AMAC. Tell us a little bit what you've been doing. Well, it's a growing concern. And, and you know, just, just to kind of set the table here, AMAC's mission is centered on free speech among other rights is guaranteed by, uh, by our Constitution. Dan Weber, when he started AMAC, revered the Constitution as one of the greatest documents ever created by mankind. All right, so, you know, we are constantly looking at legislation. And, uh, you know, we are an operation. We're proud of our, of our operation. Uh, we don't have uh, the resources as some other large senior groups, but we do the best with what we have, and we think we do a fine job. And that said... We're, we're constantly looking at the thousands at the thousands of bills that come across our desk um, to see what would be appropriate for us to support or oppose. So a bill came across our desk that was introduced back in May, and this has to do uh, with the Department of Homeland Security's introduction of the Disinformation Governance Board. And as you have well reported, John, this was the Biden administration's attempt to monitor and censor Americans' free speech. And one of the board's more outspoken opponents is Senator Joss Hawley from Missouri. Yeah. And so he introduced a bill earlier this year. It was, it was in May that immediately dissolves the board and prohibits, importantly, the DHS from ever replicating it. So, you know, why are we supporting a bill in December that came out in May? And then you factor in that the Biden administration said back in August that the board was terminated. Well, couple of reasons. Number one, it's a free speech bill, and it's something that is worthy. Uh, new information has come out. We found indications that the board was merely paused, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, and DHS is still working with big tech to combat what they call, and I'm going to use air quotes here, disinformation. So we felt it extremely appropriate to support Senator Hawley's efforts to protect free speech. It's a, such an important conversation to be having. And when we step into what we're learning. So Homeland Security, there's a Department of State agency. They both were, even before the Disinformation Governance Board got started, they were already outsourcing requests to censor content through a third party. This morning, we hear that the FBI had its own direct operation where unit chief in San Francisco on a daily basis forwarded requests during the 2020 election to social media companies. And he said 50% of the time when he made a request, these social companies complied. When we think about that, that the, the power of the FBI, the power of the Homeland Security Department, power of the State Department to step into the business of censorship. And then we think, well, the founding fathers said government's not supposed to make any law that infringes on free speech. What comes to mind here? It looks like the agencies and the Constitution are on a collision course. 
We, we, absolutely, if they haven't collided already. It's interesting when we were talking about Josh Hawley uh, and that May hearing that he had when he had the DHS secretary in front of him saying, this board hasn't met. Uh, we've had no formal meetings. It, it kind of doesn't exist, you know, because we haven't gotten off the ground. Well, recently, Hawley released documents that showed that the Disinformation Governance Board had meetings, had meetings as early as February of this year and had operational authorities. So you, you, you talk about a collision course. Uh, this is this is scary stuff, John. It's stuff that has to have light shined on it. Uh, sunshine is, is a great cleanser, but it is, you know, we can't be afraid of this stuff. I guess maybe I'm just getting old, John, but um, uh, nothing surprises me. I just get disappointed almost on a daily basis. And this is this is really, really serious stuff we're talking about here. It is. It is. And it's so good to know that AMAC and its massive grassroots army are now behind these sort of solutions because it's going to take a legislative solution and oversight, I think, to push this back. The, the general reverence to the First Amendment, which used to exist, you know, broadly across government, Democrats and Republicans shared it, the ACLU fought for it. It seems as though large parts of the institutions that used to protect free speech have turned against it. We had former Senator Bob Torricelli, a Democrat, came on the show last week, and he said he is floored that his party, that the institutions that have made their businesses on free speech, news media companies, big tech companies, government agencies, now have become the perpetrators of trying to silence free speech. And he said, I'm perplexed. I don't recognize the country I grew up in. I think a growing number of people realize that the only way to stop this is with a legislative solution that codifies what the Constitution already shows. And Senator Hawley's bill is probably the most substantive in, in the Congress right now to do that. Do you think it has a good shot going into next year to get it passed? I think that it's it's got you know with a divided Congress, uh, it would be ambitious uh, to to you know and and with the you know the outcome of the Georgia runoff, uh, it it may be tough. I think we'll obviously get a lot of support for it in uh, in the House, but um, you know we're certainly push for it. We're certainly advocate for it. You know again, I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but I'm a, I'm a realist. We've got a, a split Congress, and they may not think that. Believe it or not, they, meaning Democrats, may not think that free speech is uh, an important enough issue for them to pursue, but we'll stay on them. Such an important mission and, and a really fun one. It was fun to see the letter supporting Senator Hawley's work. Another fun thing you've done, and, and it's sort of funny, the very administration that gives us a disinformation governance board on multiple occasions, we end up finding out the things they're telling us. Don't add up. The Biden administration's made a lot of comments, and all of a sudden you dig into the facts don't match up. You guys, Bobby Charles, who's been on this show many times on, on AMAC Thursday, you wrote an incredible article earlier this week, busting 10 energy myths that the Biden administration has given the public. These are good ones. And by the way, they're important ones because national security and other issues are at risk here. Tell us about some of your favorite myths that the Biden administration has foisted on the American people in the midst of this energy crisis. It, and, and thank you for this opportunity. And kudos uh, goes to Bobby Charles. Bobby's such a prolific writer. He writes. Uh, uh, he, I, I just I, I aspire to be the same kind of writer that he is. But uh, he outlined ten myths, and it's it's almost like a you know like a David Letterman late show top ten of of lies, if you will. Um, the first myth, and one of my favorite ones, is that the Biden administration is running around saying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is fine. It's being used properly, and it's lowering oil prices. Well, according to Bobby, that's not true. Uh, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was drained for political reasons. 
uh, midterm elections. The goal was to artificially lower gas and heating costs uh, after Joe Biden decimated U.S. oil production. And, uh, and, and the timing of some of these, uh, some of the SPR's uh, releases uh, had to do right with the midterm elections, you know, to, in an attempt to fool the American public into thinking that all is well with regard to the SPR when it really is not. Yeah, that's a scary thing. And then, you know, we, we have such a short supply now that if we really did have a catastrophic event in the United States, we don't have a large supply left now. It's become a national security issue. And it's funny, President Trump left the SPR completely topped off. It was at surplus levels and now, now it's gone. Another one of my favorite ones that Bobby pointed out is the myth that the drilling pits for federal lands are at record levels. Tell us again about that. Well, you know, uh, the, the administration is running around saying that we're almost at capacity, you know, for drilling permits. But uh, uh, Bobby and his uh, crack research discovered that, well, this is wrong as well. Um, excuse me. A backlog uh, was cleared. OK. And then the permits fell to a trickle. And a permit is nothing more than a first step when you're trying to extract oil from the ground. And Joe Biden knows that lawsuits by his environmental cronies uh, sideline permit use and production. So this is just it's just nonsense. And it's actually these myths insult everybody's intelligence that that has intelligence with regard to these issues. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. The Paris Accords, for some reason, the Biden administration, boy, they just double, triple, quadruple down on them. But there's this idea that it was all good, no harm. And yet China walks away untouched. And tell us a little bit why people should be worried about the Paris Accord and the false narrative we get from the Biden administration about it. Well, John, the, the Paris Accords, you know, according to Joe Biden, did no harm and did a lot of good, which is, and I'm going to use Bobby's word here, it's absurd. Uh, this is an uh, uh, unenforceable, a legally unenforceable pledge to Mother Earth, okay? And it gives China, which is the world's biggest polluter, a pass. And it was all politically driven. It hurts U.S. producers. It gives billions of dollars of uh, U.S. tax dollars to other polluters. And it was recently reinforced by Biden's pledge to strap the middle class America with a, globet, with a global climate reparation. So it's just stacked with poor, you know, with the unenforceable um, provisions and also uh, stacks almost tax, if you want to call it a tax, but it, it really sucks it to the middle class with regard to uh, coming up with what Biden is going to describe as climate reparations. Yeah, that's the next big fight. He just committed to the United States to paying climate reparations to other countries and his most recent foreign trip. Pretty scary stuff. This is one that I think is probably the most consequential when people talk about it right now. The price of cars are being driven up by President Biden's policies, but he says the opposite. And also the ability to become mobile or to you know, take a great advantage of the mobile economy we have. That's just simply not happening. In fact, there's an admission, I think, in the Biden documents that they're trying to make driving less popular. Tell us a little bit about cars and driving and the war that the Biden administration has declared on them. Well, I mean, war has been declared on the internal combustion engine, and they are uh, the they meeting the Biden administration is encouraging. And you're seeing some of this happen in California, encouraging states to end gas powered cars. Uh, I mean, if, if just saying that, and uh, it, it makes my head explode. What are you going to replace them with? You know, I grew up in a cold climate. Okay, four definite seasons. I grew up on Lake Erie, so I know all about cold weather. And I know about lake effect snow. And sometimes we have blizzards. And you've got an electric car with a three, you know, a three hour maybe 
uh, a time limit before that battery goes dead, and then you're stuck in a blizzard with sub-freezing temperatures, which zaps the power even more. And when those when those cars run out, when a Tesla, you know, when the battery goes dead, the entire car shuts down. And this is this is not something that just happens, you know, happens. Um, Every now and then, it could happen fairly frequently during the winter when you're in a Great Lakes state. Okay, when you have freezing cold weather, all of a sudden your 45-minute commute home becomes two hours, and the, your battery shuts down. And what are you going to do? Okay, but and and this is what are you going to replace a gas-powered car with? And it definitely would affect people's mobility. Now, when you're talking about new cars. Again, a personal experience. My wife and I are putting some shekels away to buy my son, who's a senior in high school, a car, a used car, a modest used car when he graduates from high school in the spring. Used car prices have jumped 59%. All right. New car prices are up almost 30%, and there's no relief in sight. This is inflation. All right. And to add insult to injury, Biden's EPA's final rules are adding an extra $1,000 to every new car. I'll contrast this. I was invited uh, to be on the South Lawn of the White House a couple of years ago when President Trump was announcing how his uh, regulatory cut, when he was cutting regulations and, and how that impacted the American household, specifically how it impacted the price of vehicles. And it's quite a contrast as to what we're dealing with now with the Biden administration. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And there's another place where the Biden administration complicitly with Democratic activists are pushing, and that is the environmental social governance, which is trying to force investors away from any fossil fuel investments, which, by the way, make people's pension investments, everything more risky if you, you can't invest in one of the things that we most need in our economy. This sort of woke investment concept seems to also be adding a lot of complexity and future danger to people's portfolios. If you don't invest in profitable energy companies, you're not getting the best return for your investors. That mindset seems to be creeping into a lot of corporate boards. Your thought about that and the danger of that? Well, it's another tentacle of the left that's working its way into people's comfortable retirement. And yes, energy is, is definitely affected by it, but they're looking, if you see what the Biden administration wants to do to all 401k programs, is to have all that money, the trillions of dollars invested into companies that subscribe to ESG. And what you're going to see are lower returns, not only uh, in energy, but across all business sectors. And it's going to hurt, in, in particularly our demographic. You know, we're age 50 plus. It's going to hurt people that have worked hard, sacrificed. Maybe they received a modest match from their from their company. They're circling the date on their calendar when they can retire, and they may not have enough. If uh, if the Biden now there's anticipation that what the Biden administration wants to do with forcing 401ks to invest in ESG in companies that uh, in ESG investments that it might be challenged in court and probably won't survive. But uh, who wants to play that game and flip that coin? Uh, it's dangerous. And now and he's starting to mess with a, a large segment of the population that, uh, you know, has that money deducted from their paycheck, invests it. We're doing everything right here as as American employees. All right. Now, we you know, you know, more people need to save money, but that's that's a separate discussion, John. But with regard to people that are that are investing, um, they're helping the economy grow. And now you're going to have yet another attempt by the Biden administration to stifle that. And it's it's um, it's outrageous. And, and it's something that, again, needs to be exposed and, and needs to be dealt with. Yeah, such an amazing thing. The last myth I want to tackle, there is a lot of excitement about electric cars. And why not? Elon Musk makes a cool electric car. People understand all that. 
But the idea that electric cars are anywhere near being a solution for the environment is silly because the grid is not even remotely capable of supporting the charging requirements. The cart before the horse is probably an understatement. Tell us a little bit about the false, at least short-term false promise of electric cars as being impactful for any environmental policy right now. And you know, John, I've got family members that have Teslas and I've been inside them and they are very cool. Really cool. You know, ludicrous mode. Wow, man. You know what I mean? It's scary. It's, it's extremely cool. But I think what you're looking at here, if you want to get the truth right now from your American consumer, look at Consumer Reports and see where they rate electric cars. Historically low in terms of reliability. So when you're talking about taxing the grid, that's a huge issue that we're not ready for. But look at the overall reliability of these cars. It's not good from people. And, and this is not some campaign, some orchestrated campaign. This is right from people who own these cars. Hybrids, well, you know, they, they get a nice a thumbs up, okay? And that makes sense. But we're talking apples and oranges when you're looking at a car like a Tesla receiving low reliability ratings from people that own them as published in Consumer Reports. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. See, those are the sort of things that mean that people need to get educated on. So important. And there's a lot going on at the end of the year. AMAC always has its radar up. There's going to be an omnibus spending bill. What are some of the things as we go to the year? I know you don't rest just because the holidays are here that AMAC and AMAC Action are watching for in the final days of a full Democratic Congress. Well, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying, you know, we're getting requests from people, you know, uh, to, to, to activate our membership on specific issues. Um, you know, we, and we look at, you know, activating our membership at large or in specific states. We take, we take it very seriously before we ask our members to get involved to see if it's an issue that aligns with our, uh, our mission and if it has a chance of being successful. Uh, or and, and in some cases, even if it doesn't have a chance of being successful, you know, we, we, uh, our members want their voices heard. But, you know, we're, there, there's all kinds of it, – it's chaos, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in terms of what's trying to be crammed into a, a year-end spending bill, we are keeping a key eye out. And I've, I've mentioned this on your program before, John, about that PBM Transparency Act. If we could notch that victory, if we can get that bill into the omnibus spending, that would – uh, uh, allow some oversight on pharmacy benefit managers, anti-competitive business practices. We think that you could see a 25% drop in drug prices across the board. So we're still hopeful that this makes it in there. And, uh, uh, and, and we're also planning for next year in terms of what our activity, what our, um, uh, what our, our approach will be with a, you know, with one House of Congress that would be, you know, probably friendly to talking to a conservative organization. But we want to be realists as well. Uh, but you know, keeping an eye on on the on the circus of spending that that uh, is that that Democrats are certainly not going to go down without a fight. And uh, and and it's 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 interesting to see exactly what they uh, you know what they're lobbying for to get into a year-end bill. Uh, some of it has nothing to do with the stated intent of. You know, of, of you know, of, of what they say that they're uh, they want to accomplish, but um, you know, we're we're, um, we're we're still monitoring and we're still uh, you know, it, it sometimes it's a helpless feeling, you know, because we know that some of these folks won't won't be back in Congress ever again, and uh, uh, and and they certainly want to make their mark before they go. But then you see the veterans like uh, like a Chuck Grassley who's been around, you know, who's been around Washington for, for decades, who may have some pull. In, Since the Reagan era. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, who may have some influence in getting the PBM, but we're not, you know, who may have it. I, I can't make any any commitment to that, but it's, it's, it's certainly interesting to watch. 
It's an amazing time in American history. So many important issues to resolve, whether it's free speech that we started this conversation with or improving prescription prices for everyday Americans by just fixing some of the improper market forces. It is an incredible time to watch. And anyone who's an AMAC member knows that being part of AMAC means you get better protection, you get better information, you get better intelligence. You get things like the 10 energy message you can share with your friends who might have drank some of the Kool-Aid on some of the current talk in Washington. How do you get involved in AMAC? You do what I do, guys. You jump in and you go get a membership. I went and got the five-year membership. AMAC has set up a very special address for all of the Just the News, John Solomon Reports family to take advantage of. You get a discount on your membership. It's going to pay for itself right away with savings you get on products and services, with offers you're going to get from Medicare insurance, other things. And of course, all the incredible intelligence that Andy's team and Bobby Charles and Rebecca Weber put together real actionable intelligence. You go into your conversations every day, better informed. All you got to do to take advantage of it, go to amac.us slash just news, amac.us slash just news. You get a special discount. Go ahead and match me. I did a five-year. It's the best investment you're ever going to make. Go do it. It's incredible. Andy, incredible days ahead. I know you're going to be working right to the holidays, but I also want to wish you, in case we don't get together before Christmas, a very Merry Christmas, a very safe holiday season for you and your family. We really enjoy this partnership. We have so much fun every Thursday at this conversation. John, it's my pleasure. Merry Christmas to you and yours. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Very big discussion about free speech in America, the censorship factor, FBI, State Department, Homeland Security Department, Election Integrity Partnership, the Government Disinformation Office, all sorts of different encroachments on the First Amendment. It's beginning to wake up Republicans and Democrats alike. You got a real taste of it today. Just think about what FBI agent Elvis Chan told us in his sworn deposition. The world's most powerful law enforcement agency, the FBI, censored American content on social media platforms, succeeded 50% of the time when they asked, and didn't see anything wrong with that, despite what the First Amendment says, despite what we know about the laws, despite the Hatch Act prohibiting federal government employees from interfering in elections. That is what's going on. The FBI didn't even bat an eyelash and see anything wrong with what it's doing. That is the moment we find ourselves in history. That's why we're doing all the reporting we've done on free speech here in this arena here. Just the news. John Solomon reports just the news. No noise. And remember what James Comer said. This is going to become one of the big issues in the House next year when Republicans take over and those oversight committees kick into their doing their investigative duties. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition. Before we go, remember, if you want to get one of those incredible AMAC memberships like I did, the five-year membership I got, all you got to do is go to amac.us slash just news, amac.us slash just news. You'll be brought up to speed real quickly. All right, that wraps it up. Have a great the rest of your day. We'll be back tomorrow. Another big exclusive story. We're hoping we're going to get Jim Jordan on the show tomorrow, so be prepared for that. That'll be fun. We also have an amazing interview we did with Larry Elder, the great radio talk show host, former gubernatorial candidate. He's talking about why he joined country singer John Rich, why he joined Ben Carson to create the new, brand new bank, Old Glory Bank, to prevent cancel culture from creeping into the financial industry. We'll have that tomorrow as well. And as I mentioned, a big exclusive about a very high-ranking congressional ethics official 
and the trail of conduct he's left behind that now has Republicans asking some tough questions. All that tomorrow on John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. Until then, go check out justinnews.com 24-7. We got you covered. All the breaking news that matters, as well as our important investigative reporting that we've been talking about. Have a great day, folks. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.